friends, and welcome on into episode 238 of the SCO Show, probably a part of the Pat's Pulpit Podcast Network and brought to you by the great folks at SB Nation. My name is Mark Schofield, back in the big chair for today, Monday, May 2nd, 2022. The 2022 NFL Draft is in the rearview mirror. I hope you get a chance to follow along with all the incredible coverage provided by the brilliant minds here at Pat's Pulpit. We had the, the live stream on Thursday night. You know, I had a lot of instant rea- reaction shows and day one and day two recaps. It came out throughout all three days of the draft. And now we settle in and start the post-mortem process. What we're going to do today, first half of the show, I'm going to talk a little bit about what we got wrong. What we sort of in the NFL media space got wrong about this 2022 NFL draft. Because one of the beauties of the draft is teams actually show their hands. They tell you how they feel about their teams, how they feel about this incoming draft class. And when we spend months and months and months studying players and doing mock drafts and thinking we've got a good read and bead on what teams are going to do, they go in a completely different direction. So it's a fantastic time to take it all in and to sort of do some self-scouting. In the second half of the show, we're going to dive into what the Patriots did over all three days of the draft. Now, by now, you're seeing NFL draft grades creep out. Um, I'm going to talk about the grade that I put on the Patriots over at USA Today's Touchdown Wire. But let's just, let's just put it out there. Consensus grades right now are not great. You see a lot of C's and D's and F's for the Patriots draft. And, and so we'll talk about the Patriots draft class as a whole in the second half of the show. But before we do anything, your usual cavalcade reminders, please do fall on with the hijinks on the Bird app at Mark Schofield. Check out the work, USA Today's Touchdown Wire, Matt Waldman's RSP Quick Game Podcast, Big Blue View, Blue and Green Nation, Blogging the Boys, Pat's Pulpit. By now, you should know where to find me. And also, a shout-out to everybody in the Scho Show Slack channel. The Slack channel was thriving all three days of the draft, live Zooms and stuff like that. And as I tease, now that we have the draft class, over the next couple of weeks and months or so during the quiet time, we'll get a chance to hop together and study some of these players um, do some Zoom sessions to dive into this draft class and how they fit in New England. So even though the draft is over, still a lot of fun stuff to get to. As we sort of get into the quiet time of the year, I love May and June because it gives me a chance to sort of catch my breath, uh, start thinking about the game of football and doing some other things. Uh, but let's dive into what we got wrong. We got everything wrong. <laughs> in a nutshell, we got everything wrong. But I, I want to start... With the quarterback position. Obviously a position that's near and dear to my heart. I'm recording this on Sunday afternoon. Spent the day coaching quarterbacks. Uh, Shout out to the Raiders Orange team. Nice W today in our our 7-on-7 league. And we got the quarterbacks wrong. The league told us at the combine and after the combine how they felt about this quarterback class. You look at the top of this draft, right? In the top of this draft, you've got Atlanta at eight. Theoretically in a position to draft any quarterback in this group. They signed Marcus Mariota. You look at Washington at eleven. In a position to draft any quarterback they want. They trade for Carson Wentz. 
You look at Pittsburgh at 20, who ended up being the only team in this entire draft to draft a quarterback in the first two rounds. They signed Mitchell Trubisky. The league told us at the Combine and after the Combine, we don't like this quarterback class. And for a while, we listened. I wrote at USA Today, right after the Wentz trade, the league hates this quarterback class. They're telling us they hate this quarterback class. I wrote that at the start of March. March 3rd was the date on the byline. But what did I do in the end? Three, four quarterbacks in my final mock drafts in the first round. Because despite every single thing this league told us about the quarterback class with moves like Wentz, with moves like Mariota, with moves like Trubisky, with moves like Matt Ryan to Indianapolis, with the fact that we spent hours upon hours debating where Jimmy Garoppolo and, Car- and Baker Mayfield were going to end up When push came to shove, we thought the NFL wouldn't be able to help themselves. We thought that the NFL, somebody was going to panic. That you were going to see this run on quarterbacks. It didn't happen. It didn't happen in the first round. And so what did we do? We predicted it was going to come in the second. In my mock draft for the second round, of which I get a whopping, I believe, zero picks right, even with information from the teams based on what they did in the first round. We all thought the run on quarterbacks would come. We all thought the run on quarterbacks would come. We look at the start of the draft. You see Tennessee at 35. You see the Giants sitting there at the start at 36. You see Seattle at 40 and 41. Atlanta at 43. Surely... This run on quarterbacks is coming. And maybe it doesn't happen until Seattle at 40 and 41, right? Because, yeah, they might draft the edge, you know. Arnold Ebiketti or Boye Mafe make a lot of sense for the Seattle Seahawks at 40. But then at 41, surely they address quarterback. At 43, Atlanta, surely they address quarterback. And then I was on a live show with Dave Crumlow, Sports Country G. Crum, at the start of the second round. And when we heard... Oh, Atlanta's coming up for 43 to get ahead of Seattle at 40 and 41. Oh, that's got to be Malik Willis. It was for Abiketti to get ahead of Seattle, who drafted Boy Mafia. The league told us over and over and over again, we don't like this quarterback class. But we thought they wouldn't be able to hold themselves from making that pick. Now, ultimately, this may be the best case scenario for these quarterbacks. Now, if you're Desmond Ritter, you're at Atlanta at 74, it might be the ideal scheme fit. It might be the ideal scheme fit for you. And now you come off the board at 74 in the third round, there's no pressure. There's no pressure. McNair family, general managers, Fans, they're not going to be clamoring for, I mean, excuse me, I'm thinking Houston here, Atlanta, the blank family, excuse me. General manager, fan base, they won't be clamoring for Desmond Ritter to see the field right away. They can take their time. Malik Willis, 
to the Tennessee Titans. It's not going to be pressure for him to see see the field, right? They can take their time with these guys. Sam Howell to in Washington. Washington, I thought Howell was a perfect fit for Washington for what we expect that offense to be, given the Carson Wentz acquisition, right? They're going to be a vertical-based passing offense. Ideal landing spot. There won't be pressure from Dan Snyder to get Sam Howell on the field. Unless, of course, more bad news about Snyder comes out, in which case he might want the distraction. There won't be this pressure. These guys are going to be in good situations. So we got the quarterback class wildly wrong. And deeper dives into why and how and postmortems are coming, including from yours truly. But we got the quarterback class wrong. We got age wrong. And perhaps we should have known that because of COVID and super seniors and things like that, we were going to see older prospects in this draft class get drafted by teams that usually don't take older prospects. I remember doing a lot of mock drafts where I said, look, Devontae Wyatt at 22 or 28, Green Bay is going to draft him because he makes so much sense for what they do defensively. Put him next to Kenny Clark. You're going to get a fantastic one-two punch on the inside. And so many Packers fans are like, there's there's no way they're drafting a 24-year-old. They're not doing it. They did it. Jim Nagy, the executive director of the Senior Bowl, he's doing what we're doing at the Senior Bowl. He's doing some post-mortem. He's doing some self-scouting. That's what we do. We try to learn from what we saw. And he's saying, look, we saw a lot of older prospects. Now, maybe it was simply the COVID super seniors and things like that, or maybe it's not. Maybe that will continue. So that's something I think we need to think about. The talent pool is deeper than we can ever imagine. You want evidence of that? Let me talk to you about Sam Roberts. Pick 200 for the New England Patriots. Northwest Missouri State, Division II. But he was the best defensive player in all of Division II. Gregory Jr., Ochita Baptist, the corner. Now to the Jacksonville Jaguars, will pick 198. First player in that school's history to get drafted. Josh Bowman last week told us about Joshua Williams from Fayetteville State, fourth round to the Kansas City Chiefs. Another Division II player. The talent pool is bigger than we can imagine because of the fact that whether it's due to COVID, whether it's due to just a change in resources and how teams are doing this, there's more scouts sitting at home grinding through film watching 20 players a day when they if they're traveling they might get to watch five and then it's time to get to the airport the talent pool is deeper another way to look at this eric galco executive director of the shrine game they saw their Biggest number of Shrine Game participants get drafted in decades. And it started with Taekwondo Port Third, a 50 overall. 
and other events like the Collegiate Bowl, you know, the, the Tropical Bowl, these others, the Hula Bowl that came back this year, they're getting players signed and they're getting players drafted. The talent pool is deeper. And for those of us in the media side, we need to re- we ne- our studies need to reflect that. Our consensus boards need to reflect that. We've got to find ways of getting our hands on Fayetteville State tape. On Uchida Baptist tape. On Northwest Missouri State tape. Because if the consensus boards are just a reflection of the guys we're able to study and watch... Clearly, the NFL has more resources, and they're going to find these players. When the Patriots drafted Sam Roberts at 200, Arif Hassan, who does the consensus board, said that Roberts barely made the cut for inclusion. He was like player 555. And as we'll talk in a minute, maybe that's a wild reach, or maybe that's in line with where the league has him. What looks like a reach to us on the outside maybe isn't to those on the inside. The final thing that I think we learned, the landscape at the wide receiver position is shifting before our eyes. The A.J. Brown trade is an example of that. And I've had this discussion with others in the landscape over the past 72 hours, even over the past couple of weeks. Is it something we were talking about on the inside in the group chats and in the Slack channels and, and things like that. Wide receiver is becoming this weird hybrid of running back and quarterback in terms of evaluation. In terms of positional evaluation and valuation. Yes, you'll pay for elite talent. But if there's an above average player or even an above-above-average player like A.J. Brown, you might not pay that player. You might be willing, because of the depth of every receiver class we're seeing these past couple of years, to just move on and draft a receiver. And yes, Traylon Burks in for A.J. Brown is a little bit of the family guy mystery box, right? You know, A.J. Brown's A.J. Brown, but Traylon Burks could be anything. He could be A.J. Brown. That's who I comped him to. He's not there yet, but if you're Tennessee and you're facing the prospects of paying A.J. Brown $25 million a year or getting Traylon Burks in at a fraction of that, that's the business decision. Do we now see this short shelf life on receivers that aren't top five at their position? Teams are going to say, thanks for your time. We're going to move on now. You were fantastic, Amari Cooper. We're going to move on at the position. So those are some of the things that I think we got wrong. I'm going to be working on a piece about this and more uh, to come out of USA Today on, on Monday. But just a fascinating draft to watch from that perspective. Up next, we're going to dive deeper into the Patriots draft, which I know is getting shredded. But I'm going to try to make some sense of it. That is ahead. Here in episode 238 of the SCO Show. 
Mark Schofield back with you now on episode 238 of the Sco Show. And as I was driving home from football on, on Sunday afternoon, uh, congrats to the Raiders Orange again. Nice W. Good to get that first W. Boys played well. As I was driving home and after talking to my son about his game, by the way, two more picks for our boy here. Adjust your 2032 free safety boards accordingly. I'm just I'm just saying. But in between discussions and thoughts about the game and stuff, you know, sitting on a red light or whatever, and the mind starts to wonder about this show and what I'm going to talk about, I had this, this phrase pop into my mind. You know, one person's reach is another person's treasure. You know, a variation of that one person's trash is another's treasure, right? I love the work that Arifasan does with the consensus big board. I love the idea of consensus big boards. And I do think it's a, a way to try and evaluate draft classes. But consensus big boards are limited in the sense that that's a one-size-fits-all, inside-a-vacuum look at 32 teams. You know, if you take the consensus big board and where it has quarterbacks in the 30s, that that's probably a reflection perhaps league-wide, g- generically speaking. But teams might view it differently. The Pittsburgh Steelers certainly had a different view of things, perhaps, than the consensus league-wide view because they drafted a quarterback at 20. And then you can get into the... Like a Tyler Lindenbaum might have a consensus high grade on the consensus big board because best center in the draft. But if you're a gap power scheme team, that might not be the best fit for him. You know, and I I think it was Brian Baldwin or Jeff Saturday or somebody pointed out that, you know, maybe if you're seeing a lot of odd fronts in your division, you know, that might, 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 might not be the best fit for him because, you know, he's better, more athletic, lateral agility. Let him reach some some one tech, some three techs if you need him to. But if, he, if he's got guy head up, that might be a bit tougher. You know, you've seen those on front stuff. So reaching three techs might be fine. Head up on it with a guy in his face might be tougher. And so what I mean by that is, Evaluated draft classes, given out draft grades, which again, we've done over a touchdown wire. Myself and Doug Farrar, we combined on it. They're a reflection of outside views of consensus. And so when, for example, you see that the consensus view on Cole Strange was that he, he graded out in the 70s in the Patriots draft of a 29. That looks like a massive reach. In fact, the second biggest reach by consensus, according to a Reef's postmortem on the consensus big board. But was it a reach for the Patriots who have a needed interior offensive line? Maybe. But Say they even had him graded at 70 overall. 
It's not a reach in the 50s. And they're at 54. And you think, maybe they should have passed on him. He would have been there at 54. Maybe not. Cam Jurgens comes off the board at 51. Maybe he's not there at 54. And so, post-draft snap grades, they're one bit of data. And they reflect what we on the outside thought of this draft class. But what did we spend the first 15 minutes of this show talking about? We got a lot of stuff wrong. I got a ton of stuff wrong. Over two predictive mock drafts, first round and second round, I think I got three teams and picks right. Three. I would have had four, but I chickened out at the last minute because I had I had mocked Drake London to Atlanta so many times. And I didn't do it. I had mocked Sauce Gardner to the Jets so many times at both four and ten, and I got screamed at by Jets fans. They're not going corner. So I talked myself out of it. But the mock drafts and all the write-ups and the profiles and the rankings, there are our reflection on the outside with a fraction of the information that these teams have available to them. And their boards are different. So ultimately, I gave the Patriots a B minus, which is one of the higher grades I've seen in the sort of post draft draft grade world. I gave him a B minus because I, I I could see a plan and a vision, and I don't think it's this sort of brutal draft that it's being made out to be. The one pick that I'm wariest about, perhaps more than any other, is Thornton at fifty. Because as Patriots fans, we fear that it's, in a weird way, Harry over Metcalf again, right? Because they move up for Thornton at 50. And he may be an extremely talented, speedy receiver, fastest in the draft. My question for Mesquite is, is this a vertical-based passing game that he's a good fit for or not? And what's also going to be interesting to track with him is, at 52, the Steelers go with with George Pickens. At 53, the Colts go with Alec Pierce. At 54, the Chiefs go with Skymore. And so if one or two or all three of those guys have very good careers and Thornton doesn't pan out, you know what it's going to look like. Chad Jackson, Bethel Johnson, all that stuff, all over again. Another move that shocked a lot of people but if you've been following this team for a while, it shouldn't. Bailey Zappi at 137. When that came in, my phone exploded. Belichick doesn't know what he's doing. What in the world is Belichick doing? This is the worst pick of them all. And so I wrote. And I hope you saw this piece. If you haven't, you can check it out. 
titled USA Today, why Bailey Zappi was the fifth quarterback off the board and why it was to the New England Patriots. Drafted Patriots, Patriots drafting quarterbacks should not be a surprise to you. As I walked readers through, in the years that they had Tom Brady on the roster, they took a quarterback basically every other year. Sometimes a couple years in a row, and then they would skip a year. Then Rohan Davey a couple months after Brady wins the first Super Bowl. Cliff Kingsbury, now an NFL head coach. Kevin O'Connell, now an NFL head coach. Zach Robinson, soon to be an NFL head coach, currently the quarterback's coach and passing game coordinator for the Rams. Julian Edelman was a quarterback. And yes, they moved him to the receiver right away, but he was a quarterback. Matt Castle. And then they started to do it a little earlier each draft. Ryan Mallett in the third. Jimmy Garoppolo in the second. Brissett in the third. Stidham in the fourth. As Belichick told us after the Garoppolo pick in the second round, it's better to be a year earlier than a year late. And this has nothing to do with Mac Jones. It's a view towards upgrading behind Mac Jones. They're not drafting. I saw some people say, oh, this is this is bad news for Mac Jones. No. Mac Jones is their starting quarterback. But you have Brian Hoyer and Jared Stidham behind him. If Bailey Zappi is, as a rookie, an upgrade over one or both of those guys at backup, it's a W as a draft pick. I am someone that is a firm believer that you should always be addressed in the quarterback room as much as possible, even if it's just to get yourself a better backup at two. Because you are one rolled ankle away from being SOL at the quarterback position unless you have a viable option at backup. And Bailey Zappi can be that. And then people have said, well, okay, fine. That's fine, Mark. That's fine. Okay, you're a little bit too smart for your own good, but we'll give you we'll give you a bet draft in a quarterback. Why him over Sam Howell? What did I just get done saying about Taekwon Thornton? He's a vertical-based threat. Is this New England offense a vertical-based offense right now? Right now? Looking at it right now? No. Now, maybe, maybe at some point they're going to try to get to that. You know, we kind of saw that with the Brady run. They're not ready for it right now. If they were, Sam Howell was probably your guy, one of the best deep ball throwers in this class. But for what they are, a horizontal-based passing offense that is predicated upon timing, rhythm, placement, anticipation, yardage after the catch, that's zappy. That's not Sam Howell. And so this idea that, that Zappy was a horrific pick, he might have been a horrific pick for 31 NFL teams, but not for New England in my mind. More than anything else, did this draft have a theme for the Patriots? Yes, it was speed. Speed and athleticism. Things we've been clamoring for for years as Patriots fans. They need to get faster. They need to get more athletic. They did that. Cole Strange is an incredible athlete for an offensive line. Pierre Strong, Zach Jones, these are talk about they're, they're fast athletic football players. And I know there's a lot of consternation. Why didn't they address linebacker? They had opportunities to address linebacker to get athletic at the second level of their defense. My good buddy Jeff Risden faced 
a lot of the same conversation about the Lions, a team he covers. And as he kept telling Detroit Lions fans, don't shoot me, I'm the messenger. This team likes their linebackers better than you do. Patriots might be in the same exact boat. And as somebody that was like, yo, man, you know, they're going to draft Devin Lloyd. They traded out of 21. They had a shot to do it. They did it. As somebody that's like, oh, man, Leo Chanel, Chad Muma. You know, those are fantastic linebackers. Even Troy Anderson. They passed on them at 50. Heck, even to Kobe Dean. Passed on him at 50. Had an opportunity to draft him. Now, he might be falling because of injuries, but there you go. Channing Tadal, Leo Chanel. They go at 102 and 103. Patriots had a chance to draft him at 85. They did These teams have different views of their rosters than we do. You know, and... With respect to New England, it might be a situation where, yeah, we're looking at, say, top-line starters and, you know, who they lost and things like that. And, yeah, they've got a massive need at linebacker. They're seeing Roddy Perkins and Cameron Ragone every single day. They're getting Raquan McMillan back. They have a much different view of things than we do. They have more information than we do. And that's another thing we in the media side get wrong all the time. Our views of these rosters are wildly different than how these teams view their rosters. So that's it for today. We'll do some more post-draft, post-mortems on Wednesday's show. Um, look, Patriots are getting killed right now. You know, you look at consensus draft grades, they're getting killed. But we got a long ways to go before we'll get the true grades on these players. And so, take it all with a grain of salt. Start thinking about the summer. Until next time, friends, stay safe. Chicken on your neighbors, chicken on your loved ones. Wash those hands. And when you do, sit along. Bless those Patriots reigns. Down and fall. <laughs>